we're going to begin today a brand new topic in our Musr in our Musr work. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you have an amazing week ahead. The topic this week is going to be judging people favorably. It's a very important topic because it's something which is so easy for us to lose sight of how to have proper judgment. I want to be with, begin with an absolutely amazing story. There was a family that lived in Israel that was a poor family, very poor family. And their daughter got engaged, and everyone's like, wow, what a celebration. It's amazing. We're so excited. But this family, Nebuch, sadly, couldn't uh, afford to make a proper wedding. So the community got together. They raised some money so that she could have a, a respectable wedding. Uh, nothing too fancy, just a simple wedding. But at least they can afford that, you know, with the charity that the community raised for them. They go to the wedding. And people are just blown away. This is one of the nicest weddings they've ever been to. You can imagine, one second. This is the same family we raised money for them to make a wedding for their daughter. And now this opulence, this, you know, over-the-top wedding, what, what in the world is this? And people got very upset. And after the wedding... Suddenly, this individual who married off his daughter, nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody wants to sit next to him in shul. No one wants to schmooze with him at the supermarket. Everyone's avoiding him. He doesn't know what's going on. Let's stop here. What would you think? What would you think? You get a letter from your synagogue, uh, respectively, each of our synagogues, okay? They're making a big fund for, the, for, the, for this family, for family. They don't have uh, resources. They're marrying off their daughter. What would we all do? We'd open up our checkbooks, open up our heart, and write a check, right? Whatever it is. And then we go to the wedding, and we see it's over the top, dripping with beauty. It's like, oh, you know, unbelievable. What would you say? Let me hear your opinions. Let me share with you the continuation of the story. Something that was a shock to me when I heard this as well. Okay. A few days later, Mr. Feingold, who sent the resentment, I'm reading this straight out of the source, okay? Who sent the resentment of his guest, broached the topic with the rabbi of the community, Rabbi Weiss, the name of the, the rabbi of the community, and explained what had happened. He says, when I first came to discuss prices and fix a date, the wedding hall owner asked me, do you by any chance have Feingold relatives, this is the name of the family, in Germany? When I told him that Leo Feingold was my late father. Tears welled up in the caterer's eyes. He exclaimed, I am alive today only because of your father. He hid my family and me and saved us from the Nazis. My whole family owes their lives to your father. And then he continued. Mr. Feingold explained that how he had always wanted this individual wanted to, always wanted to meet his saviors to pay them back in some small way. But he had lost contact with them after the war. He insisted that he would make us a beautiful wedding. And even though we tried to talk him out of it, he felt that this was his way of showing gratitude. He says, when we came to the wedding, the night of the wedding, we were all shocked as everyone else. I couldn't say anything to anyone because our benefactor 
had asked that his present remain a secret. However, when I saw the reactions of the guest, I went to him to get permission to reveal the truth. I now ask of you, Rabbi Wise, please let everyone know the truth. Okay, does this change anyone's perspective on this? The next morning in Shul, Rabbi Weiss told the whole congregation the true story. Once again, the people were surprised, but this time at themselves. All those who had spoken negatively suddenly realized that in reality, they had not known all the facts, even though at the time, they were sure that they had all the facts. This is a true story. And this is written by Rabbi Pesach Kron around the Maggot's Table, the book of Around the Maggot's Table. I think this is an incredible story. And the reason it's such an important story is because so many times we are positive that we have all the facts. The rabbi asked for money. I gave a nice fat check. And then you do this? What in the world is going on here? And that is why our sages tell us, judge your fellow favorably. Because inevitably, we're going to judge. So let's judge favorably. Right? Imagine if this individual didn't tell the rabbi the story. Imagine. People would be walking around for the next 10, 15, 20 years saying negative things about this family. Look how they took advantage of the community. When he has to marry off his next child, no one's going to want to support them. No one's going to want to help them. But one piece of information changes the entire story. And we all th thought to ourselves, right, that what could change my opinion? What can make it different? But our sages tell us that people aren't evil. People, in essence, are good. By their very core, are good. People don't want to lie to us. People don't want to cheat us. Many times, how many times has this happened to us? We... You know, we say something and circumstances change faster than we can control it. And then we didn't get a chance to notify everyone. And people are looking at that. Really? You tricked me like that? And we're like, well, let me explain what happened. They're like, no, thank you very much. Goodbye. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> How many stories have we heard like this? Really is an amazing thing. Let's look at what the Torah tells us. In Leviticus 19, verse 15, God tells us to judge our fellow with righteousness. Right, the verse says, Lo tasu tisa dal gadol It says, you shall not commit a distortion of justice as a judge in court. You should not favor the poor nor honor the great. With righteousness, you should judge your fellow. With righteousness, you shall judge your fellow. We all are judges every single day. It's very interesting. The first mission in Pirkei Avot, first mission in ethics of our fathers. What does it tell us? Right? On what this pill, the, the, what the world stands on. On three, three principles the, word, the world stands. And then the next mission goes on to tell us that we should always judge, that we should be judges that are honest. What do you mean? I'm not a judge. I'm not sitting on a court. Why are you telling me to be a, a judge that's honest? Why are you telling me to, right? Why? You know why? Because you are a judge, even though you're not on a court. Even though you don't have litigants in front of you, you are a judge. We are all judges in our mind. 
And even though we live in a world that is so sterile, and in a world where there's no more anti-Semitism, of course there is, but there's no more, you know, we have Black Lives Matter, and now we have equal justice for all, and we have no more chauvinism, and we have no more, you know, any type of isms. All the isms are out, okay? Now, everyone is perfect. Glot, kosher. Everyone is perfect. We're still going to be judges. We're still going to be judging everything that happens around us. And our sages warn us, be careful as a judge. You're a judge? Be careful. Judge people favorably because you never know the full story. We know our perspective very well. We're very comfortable with our perspective. We're very comfortable with the things that my eyes see, I believe. And I know them to be true because my eyes see them. My eyes don't lie to me. But what do our sages tell us? True that your eyes don't lie to you. But you only see what your eyes show you. You only see your perspective. I'll give you an example, okay? Let's imagine that right now, and I've given this example before in, other, in the context of other things. So right now, around me, there is 360 radius of the story of my life. But how much of it do I see? Right now, I see my peripheral vision. Right now, my hands are getting out of my peripheral vision. I really don't see them. About 140 degrees, 150 degrees. Everything else is out of my vision. You see it. I don't see it. So when I look at a story, all I'm seeing is 150 degrees of the 360-degree story. I only see my perspective. I don't see the rest of the story. I'm very comfortable explaining my own actions, but other people, they must be crazy. They're unhinged. They're lunatics. They're dishonest. They're not righteous. They're not trustworthy. They're right. And we come up with many, many labels for people based on our limited perspective. Because this is what I see. Instead of understanding that there is a full 360 perspective. You know, it's like the it's like imagine a helicopter. A helicopter, when you take off, what do you see? When you're about to take off, you're sitting in a plane, what do you see? You only see what you can look out the window, right? So you see a little bit. But what happens? Suddenly you're flying in the air and you look down and, wow, see all the trees and all the driveways and all the roads and all the cars and all the people. It's amazing. Suddenly you see a whole different perspective. And what happens when you zoom out, go a little bit higher, you go to outer space and suddenly you see the entire globe. You see all of planet Earth. You see a very different perspective. Even then we're limited. We still don't understand. Because there's something that we'll never be able to see. And that is what is inside someone's heart. I can see someone's actions. I don't know what's in their heart. Let's go to this Mr. Feingold. Okay, and his wedding of his daughter. Right? What was going on during the wedding? Can you imagine? People are dancing with him and really in their heart feeling a disdain. I cannot believe it. We've been duped. He's feeling in his heart, I can't believe it. I'm so embarrassed. This is not what I expected. I came to my daughter's wedding expecting to have a simple wedding. And here they 
throughout everything they put everything they could they you know they they dished out everything and he's feeling uncomfortable he's like, you understand what's going on here is that the the truth is that we are all that same mr feingold and we're also the participants at the wedding and at times we're that person who says you know what i hope people don't judge me negatively i because that's not, that wasn't my intention. And the other times, we're the people judging. And we're saying, I don't believe it. I think they're just crazy. But how are we going to train ourselves to think the way someone else thinks? You know, I remember, I remember with the, with the story back in the 90s of O.J. Simpson. Now, I assume... I may be wrong, but I assume that everyone thought exactly the way I thought. I was a teenager then, and I thought he was guilty. I, I, I didn't really have much of a question. I believe that everyone, everybody thought he was guilty. Correct? Everyone thought he was guilty. And suddenly, he's found not guilty. He's acquitted. And we're sitting there like, what? I mean... Every child, even a teenager, saw the, saw the evidence, saw what was there, and said, there's no question this guy did it. I had a neighbor who was in law school at the time, a friend of mine, a few years older than me. And he said, of course he's innocent. I said, are, are, you, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Of course he's guilty. So he said something very, very interesting, which taught me a great lesson in life. He said, one of the things you need to learn about law school, about being a lawyer, is that if you are not able to see the opposing perspective, you will never be able to win a case. It's only when you're able to see the other perspective that you're able to defend your side and present your side in a victorious way. And he said something so, again, said what they needed to do, the defense of O.J. Simpson. Now, just by the way, just so that you, you just we set the record straight, in a halachic court, in a Torah court, not only he would be innocent, the case would never have been heard because there are no witnesses. Circumstantial evidence doesn't mean anything in Jewish court. You either have two witnesses who are eyewitnesses who go through the ringer and go through the interrogation and are proven to be truthful, or you don't have witnesses. So that's just so we know in a Jewish court that wouldn't stand for one minute. They come into court and they say, okay, where are the witnesses? And they're like, we have no witnesses. Okay, have a great day. Let me know when you have witnesses and come back. So that case wouldn't stand for a minute in, in a Jewish court. But in a non-Jewish court where we think there is some form of, right, circumstantial evidence and we can bring some types of proofs if you are not able to see the other side's perspective you will never be able to win them and that is the idea here if we are not able to see the perspective of another person we can't judge them okay we can't judge them appropriately but i think there's something for us to learn here on this idea i i, I mentioned this also in one of the previous uh, classes recently the head of the mossad i have the actual date and time in my, I think we said this in the 48 Ways class, but the head of the Mossad was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and he was asked about 
the question that was asked to him was, do you think the Iranians are rational? Every single waking moment of their lives, they declare that they're going to annihilate the, the, the Jewish people and the state of Israel. And, you know, they're declaring every day. So she asked, I think her name was Barbara Walters. I think she asked it on 60 Minutes. She asked the former head of the Mossad. She said, do you think they're rational? He says, of course they're rational. And she's like, what? How can you say they're rational? They say every day they want to murder you, right? How can you say they're rational? They're crazy lunatics. And he said, it's very simple. He says, if I cannot understand their rationale, I can never win them. He says, they have a rationale. It might not be my rationale, but they have a rationale. And I need to dig deep to understand their rationale so that now I can beat them. All right? If we want to live a life where we're able to beat that impulsive judgment of negativity around other people, we have to learn to see the rationale of other people. And many times we'll be missing a big piece of the puzzle. It's just not going to be there. We're not going to have it. Let's see what the Talmud says about this verse in the Torah. But the Talmud says, Tractate Shavuot 30a, says if you see someone doing an action that could be interpreted positively or negatively, give him the benefit of the doubt. So it says as follows, in Leviticus 19.15, we said earlier, it said, You shall judge your fellow with righteousness. This means that you should judge your fellow favorably. Rashi, the great commentator, says, what, is the, what does it mean to judge your fellow favorably? This does not refer to judging litigants in court. Rather, it refers to someone who observes another person doing an action that could be interpreted as either a wrongdoing or as a neutral act. You should not suspect him of wrongdoing. Rather, assume that he is innocent. That means if you have, okay, I could see it positively, maybe, I don't know, I don't know all the facts, but I can also see it negatively. Okay, this Mr. Feingold, we only saw the negative part of it. But if we stop for a second and say, maybe there is some truth, maybe there is part of the story that can change our judgment, then we have to choose the judgments of positive, of positivity over the judgment of negativity. The Torah requires us to view people as basically upright, honest, and good-hearted, and therefore give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, I want to tell you another thing, is that mitzvah, number 235 of the Torah, you should give the benefit of the doubt in the courtrooms of your mind, just as we must judge fairly in a court of law. What does the halacha say? What does the halacha say? The law, okay? In the Sefer Chinuch is the book of mitzvahs. It lists all the 613 mitzvahs and gives the explanation, understanding the meaning behind each mitzvah. It says as follows. It says, there is a mitzvah to judge with righteousness, which means treating the litigants fairly and equally. Imagine you're the judge in a court case and your best friend walks into court and they're arguing with someone who you hate about, you know, a, a business agreement, right? Are you allowed to judge your friend favorably because you love them? And are you allowed to judge the person you hate negatively because you hate them? No, nope. the Torah says you have to judge every person favorably. And when litigants are standing in front of you, 
you must treat them both. That's what the, the, the Mishnah tells us. You must treat them both as if they're guilty. And then when they leave your court after accepting the ruling, you have to treat them both as if they're innocent. Very interesting. When they leave, you know who's right and who's wrong. Well, you have to treat them both as if they're both right after they leave the court. When they're standing in front of you as if they're both evil or wicked or guilty. There's no question that you have that we have that uh, idea of someone could be a guilty individual. We see this in the Talmud. There's something which is called a muad, which is someone who is a perpetual, a perpetual guilty individual. Okay, people make bad choices and people sometimes uh, are on the wrong side of things regularly. But again, let's not try to to think of all of the scenarios in the world. Let's deal with our, our close to home. You know, hopefully the person that you're sharing your home with, your wife, your children, your parents, your friends, your neighbors, and hopefully they're not, you know, they don't have too many skeletons in their closet. And then we understand that they're reasonably good people. They want to do good. Sometimes not everyone knows how to express that good. Sometimes not everyone knows how to how to act in the proper way in front of other people. Sometimes people can have certain traumas, certain experiences that limit their ability to, to show their love. Look, we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. We all have things that, you know, if we were able to change, we would want to change as well. How many of us have had a wrong reaction to something and wish we could have taken it back? And we lost that opportunity. And people saw us acting in a certain way. And we're like uncomfortable. We don't know what to do now. It's like, well, what, do we, what do I do? And now, right. But not everyone even realizes that. Some people don't realize that they did something wrong or something or said something offensive or hurtful. So the idea is like this, is that we need to realize and recognize that humanity is essentially good. Sometimes people make mistakes and people do the wrong things. Okay, so we, we can make uh, assumptions but what the Torah is teaching us here is to judge people favorably to the best of our ability. Okay? Are there people who are perpetual, I don't want to say evildoers. There are people who can, you know, sometimes make the wrong choices. But you know what? Every, you know, there was a rabbi uh, who passed away a few months ago. His name is Rabbi Trank. Rabbi Trank was a rabbi in a yeshiva in New Jersey. And he had the greatest joy anyone has ever seen i mean he would dance on the tables literally right from joy he was so happy and he would have many students in yeshiva in his yeshiva that came from uh, interesting backgrounds and difficult lives and some of them were challenged in their own religious observance and etc whenever guys came to them and they came sometimes not dressed appropriately in front of the rabbi and he would hug them and kiss them and bring them into his yeshiva and say, come, come. And many of the students commented later, you didn't see how I was dressed? He says, no, didn't see. What did you see that you, he says, I saw your neshama. I saw your soul. I saw that your soul was beaming and holy. And, and that's the way we should see one another. We shouldn't look at a specific thing and say, oh, look, I found something evil, bad person. Keep me away from them. We should see what the person is really made of. The person is really made of goodness. Look, we're going to get into this hopefully in the coming weeks. We're going to talk more about judging favorably. I'll have more stories to share 
But the overall principle that we want to step one is to realize that we don't always see the full picture. And if we don't see the full picture, we can't give judgment on other people. I believe like this, okay? I believe that we are born, okay? The soul that you've bestowed within me is pure, is holy, is amazing. So how is it possible that people can be angry, bad-tempered, you know, people can say nasty things. How is it possible? And people, there are people who can do it regularly. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, I get to meet a lot of people. And I see there's many different types of personalities. There are people who are sticklers. Every single detail is a hassle. There are people who are easygoing, no problem, whatever you want, anything goes. There are people like, you know, I'm perpetually, what they call it, punctually challenged. And those of you who know me, know that I work very hard at trying my best to be like on time for classes and trying to, you know, making sure that I'm at meetings on time. But it's not an easy thing for me. It's very difficult. To me, time is expand. It's like a rubber band. You know, I'm trying to change that, trying to be more more. But you could judge very easily right, and say, oh, he doesn't respect my time. He doesn't respect. And, and those of you who know me know that, that it's the furthest thing from the truth. But you might say, well, he was late last time. And the last time, and and two times ago, and three times ago, it must be just, right? Now, I'm not asking for anyone to judge me favorably. I want to work on this and and get it right. Hopefully, Hashem will give me enough time in my lifetime to perfect this trait. I'm going to be so on time, it's going to be crazy. But the idea like this is that I know someone, for example, who is very truthful. Truth is their trait. And sometimes truth is offensive. Because if you ask them how the dress looks, they'll tell you if it's ugly. And it's like, oh, my feelings. And you get hurt and you get insulted. You're like, I can't believe it. But this is a person who they're true. This is truth. And that's the way they don't have a filter on that truth. And you have to learn to appreciate that truth. They don't know how to soften truth and make it nice. Okay? So such a person, you can say, oh, they're just offensive. They just offend everyone. Everyone they meet, they're, they're saying that, no, they're just, okay, you understand? Now, there are people, for example, who grew up with parents who, you know, they say that, I, I'm not exactly sure if this is a thing, but they say that there's something called children of survivors. I don't know if there's such a thing, okay? I know my parents are both children of survivors. My parents were amazing parents. Does that mean that my parents don't have flaws? My parents are perfect. But otherwise, but some parents are not perfect, right? Now, have my parents made mistakes? Of course they've made mistakes. Have I discussed them with them and brought it up to them in the most respectful and, and loving way if they'd asked me, right? My parents, you should just know my parents are really exceptional people. Today's my mother's birthday. Uh, yesterday is my mother's birthday, so happy birthday to my mother. She's a very young and vibrant woman and an amazing woman. I'll just share with you an amazing, you know, I, I've shared this before, but my parents have an open home like you've never seen before. And for one of the most difficult things for them during this whole COVID is that they can't have guests in their home regularly. Then my parents, their home, I mean, I would be in their home as a child, as a child who comes to visit my parents, you know, once, twice, three times a year, I'd be in my parents' home. And I, my mother would say, one second, you're going to sleep in, in the third room. Right? I'm like, well, what's in the first two rooms? Oh, there are going to be people coming tonight and staying there tonight. And it's like, or, you know, it's like, 
every night there's someone there. It's like it, it's an amazing thing of there, just an open home. I had a guy who rang rang my doorbell in Houston. He came to raise raise money for an institution in Israel. A pious Jew, righteous man. And he says to me, Rabbi Wolby, he says, if you don't mind me asking, thank you so much for your donation. You mind me asking, he says, I'm heading tonight. I'm going to, to Muncie, New York. I, I don't have where to stay. I don't really know anyone in Muncie. Would you by any chance know a place where I can stay? So what do you mean do I know? I said, my parents live in Muncie. Give my parents a call. So now every year since then that he comes, he says, oh, please send. He says, please send your parents my regards. He says, and sometimes he would say the opposite. He said, I'm just coming from your parents. They send warmest regards. It's like it's a, years and years he's been going to them on a regular basis. They had no idea who he was. No idea. He called them a random stranger. He's coming to collect money in New York. He needs a place to stay. He can stay by their house. I mean, it's like no questions asked. Like, that's the amazing home I, I grew up in. But still, my parents always wanted to know if we had something on our chest that we needed to talk about. You have to be open. You have to talk about it. And we would, but in the most respectful way. We have to understand that we have to have proper honor your father and mother, fear your mother and father's two commandments of the Torah. And there has to be a proper way to say it, that we have to know who our parents are. It's very interesting. We've already talked about honoring our parents. The Talmud asks, where do we learn how to honor our parents? So the Talmud relates the most incredible story from a non-Jew named Dama ben Nesina. Who is Dama ben Nesina? Who is this individual? Well, it talks about that the, in, in the temple they needed a certain gem for the breastplate of the Kohen. So they asked around, where can we find this gem? They said, Netina has this stone. He has the stone. So they go to the house of Netina, and the son of Netina, Dama, opens the door, and the sages are standing there, and they say, where we came, we heard that you have the stone, we want to buy the stone from you. How much is it? He said, 100 gold coins. 100 gold coins, no problem. It's a lot of money, but it's doable. Okay. So he says, one second, he goes, he comes back and he says, I'm sorry, I cannot give you the stone right now. My father's sleeping. And the key for the safe is under his pillow. They thought, the rabbis thought, uh, he's just trying to milk them. If they offer him more money, then miraculously, they'll be able to get the, the key. So they offered him 200 gold coins. He says, I'm sorry. I made it clear. My father is sleeping. I cannot wake him up. Okay. okay. 300 gold coins. 400 gold coins. Not waking up his father. I told you my father's sleeping. 400 gold coins. No. Okay. So they go and they ended up finding it from someone else. And from there, the Talmud says we learn not we learn how to honor our father and mother. So now let me ask you a question, okay? It, imagine the following. Imagine you have a, a bunch of Japanese investors stop in front of your house. Their car breaks down. And your child is, is awake. You're sleeping. In the afternoon, you took a little nap. And they say like this. They say uh, they knock on the door. And they say, you see, our car broke down. If we can just borrow your car to get downtown Houston and bring it back, we will make you a 10% partner in this deal, this big business deal that we're going to close, multi-billion dollar deal. It's very important. We were late, we're going to lose the deal. 
would you want your child to wake you up so that they can lend the car? Anybody here that would say no? I mean, anybody in their right mind that would say no? 400 gold coins. Imagine, Dhamma tells his father, he says, Dad, guess what I did for you? While you were sleeping, the rabbis came by and they wanted to buy that gem. You know that stone that we had? I told them it was 100 gold coins. But you were sleeping and they offered 400 gold coins. And I said, no. I don't know, any of us, we'd probably hang our kid. <laughs> Are you crazy? Why didn't you wake me up? <laughs> and instead, Talmud says, this is an example of true honoring your father and mother. Our sages explain, because Dhamma, the son, knew his father doesn't want to be woken up for a thousand gold coins. He knew his father doesn't want to be woken up. And that's what our sages teach us. Our sages teach us that everyone needs to know their parents. And your parent is not your neighbor's parent. And not your friend's parent. It's your parent. And you need to know the proper way to conduct honoring of your father and mother, which is unique to you. So the Talmud then asked, what was his reward? What was his reward? So it says that he, later on, uh, they were looking for a red heifer. And they had that red heifer. And the sages paid 400 gold coins for that red heifer. And that was their reward. Okay, for giving up and not waking up the father, they were rewarded. They ended up getting the 400 gold coins, which teaches us another amazing uh, lesson. And that is, there's a big account. Upstairs, the Almighty knows exactly how much we deserve, and it won't come here, it'll come there. You know, I was talking to someone yesterday, of course, social distancing, a relative of mine, and we were talking about, you know, this whole COVID-19 uh, pandemic, and, and his business has been, he said, it's been a disaster. Business has been a disaster. He says what normally is his hottest season before Passover, nothing. Nobody's shopping. Nobody left their homes. He says his business was closed. So I said to him, it's just the Almighty reminding us that we need to put our efforts forward. He takes care of the accounts. He takes care of the accounts. We can try to sell and we don't sell. We don't try to sell and we do sell. We don't know how the calculations work. Our job is to put forward our efforts. So going back to having that open conversation to parents. So we can sometimes judge, not only parents, friends. We see certain actions. And we think that, oh, I, I think like this. I think every person needs to have an open relationship with those people who are around them. And in, in a way that they can discuss things that are on their heart. And talk about it. And find out not to make assumptions. Not to make assumptions. That's the biggest challenge we have with judging people favorably is making assumptions. And that's where we fall into the trap. So he says like this. So the, the Sefer Achinuch, the, the book of mitzvahs, says the following. There is a mitzvah to judge with righteousness, which means treating the litigants fairly and equally. Another aspect of this mitzvah is that it is appropriate to judge another's actions positively, always interpreting other people's actions and words in a favorable way. 
when people say just like a judge must act fairly in court, the sages reveal that the Torah's directive to judge righteously also appears in the courtrooms of our mind. As we'll see in the coming uh, weeks, we're going to talk more about this idea of judging favorably. It, it really is a big task. And I'll have hopefully a few more stories next week that can challenge us. The truth is it, it's a constant struggle for us to be positive and judge positive everything that we see. Okay? It's a key for our happiness because we want to be happy people. And when we judge negatively, we feel not good. It's like, I can't believe it. I was betrayed. I can't believe, right? You want to feel good. You want to be happy. It's a very big key to happiness. He's judging other people, to our own happiness. You're judging other people favorably.